Thanks, Jim. So the next question I'm going to take is from one of the questions that was submitted in advance, and it's from William, and he's right here in Bethel Park, Pennsylvania. Uh, and he asks, what are PA inheritance tax obligations when traditional and Roth IRAs are inherited? Okay, and that's a special place because that's also where Erica grew up. Um, oh, well, my dad. Oh, good point. Where Erica's dad grew up, and Erica's dad and I on the chess team at college, which is how we knew, and I knew Erica when <laughs> she was a little girl, even before that. But anyway, um, and, and by the way, Bethel Park did have a rivalry with Taylor Alderdice and chess, and Bart and I can argue back and forth which one had the better team and which one has more luminaries. And then with all these Alderdice people getting Nobel Prize prizes, I think even Bart was humbled by how many people that Taylor Alderdice had that went on to get Nobel Prizes. But anyway, notwithstanding, why don't I first answer the question in general and then get to Pennsylvania uh, and specifically. All right, in general, if the state, or for that matter, the federal government, um, that does have a federal estate tax, depending on how much money you have, IRAs and um, Roth IRAs are included in the taxable estate, all right? And that, that's true with Pennsylvania, and it's true um, with any state that has an inheritance tax or what's called a pickup tax, uh, things like that. However, Roth IRA conversions, if you are in a taxable situation, can cut inheritance taxes. So let me tell you a true, true uh I'll, I'll oversimplify the facts. Um, single engineer, number crunching guy, uh, terminally ill. And to oversimplify, he had a million dollars in his um, IRA. He had $400,000 outside his IRA. And if we did nothing and he was going to die, and we knew he was going to die, he would die with a $1.4 million IRA. At the time, the exclusion was a million, so he would have had a $400,000 um, estate that he would have had to have paid tax on. Let's just say a couple hundred thousand, maybe, I don't know, $150,000 in tax. Even if he was below the amount, he would have had to have paid an extra $400,000 um, on the state tax. Um, which if it was Tolineal heirs, that would be um, Pennsylvania's four and a half percent. So what is that about $18,000 um, on that extra 400,000. But let's say the day before he died, he made a million dollar Roth IRA conversion, which is basically more or less what we did. And he used the $400,000 to pay the income taxes on the conversion, all right? So that money is out of his estate and his taxable estate was a million because the federal exclusion was a million. He had no estate tax. So we ended up saving a lot of money in estate tax for him. And even though estate tax is, is not all that big of an issue now, and right now the current exclusion is for married couples, it's 23 million something, but we think that that's going to come back way back down, which is another issue. But for state to answer the question for state and inheritance taxes, IRAs and Roth IRAs are included in your taxable estate, but doing a Roth IRA conversion will reduce 
your total estate, which will reduce your um, state inheritance or pickup type tax. Hope that helps. Great, thanks, Jim. And the next question, from, also from the questions that were submitted in advance, is from Paula. And she's also from here in PA. Um, and this is a longer question, but she says, uh, this has been a unique high earning year for my spouse. He is close to retirement and will not have another year anywhere close to this year. Thus, we are not planning any Roth conversions for 2021 but are thinking of establishing a donor advised fund prior to 123121 in order to take advantage of the increased charitable deduction available in 2021 only. The amount would uh, contribute to the donor advised fund or the, the amount we would contribute to the donor advised fund would be many years worth of what we would otherwise contribute. Do you agree with our thinking? Um, in, a, in, a, in a nutshell, yes. So, all right, so here's the deal. <clears throat> Their income is way up here. Uh, he's at the top of his earning uh, power. Then his income is going to go way down. And then presumably it's going to go um, up again after he's 72. And he has minimum required distribution from his IRA and let's say two social securities on top of it. Should he be making a Roth IRA conversion when his income is up here? The answer is no. What he should do is he should wait until he's retired and his income is way down here. And then he does a series of conversions. And then at 72, maybe stop, maybe keep going, but try to get the bulk of them between retirement and age 72. So that part I agree with. Actually, the other part I agree with too. He said, okay, so we're also charitable. And we're not sure which charities we want to give money to. And I don't know, let's just pick up a number. Let's just say that they normally do uh, $20,000 a year charity. What he could do, and he, this is his big income year, is he could put $100,000 into a donor advised fund. And basically what will happen is he will, uh, depending on other income limitations, but let's say he's making a lot of money, he'll be able to deduct that entire amount which will lower his tax and lower his tax bracket when he's in a high tax bracket. And so let's say that he normally makes a $20,000 a year contributions. And the way I interpreted that question is, gee, should we do $100,000 this year and then nothing for the next couple of years? Um, and yes, that makes sense to do it when you're in your high income tax bracket, and then do the Roth conversions when you're in the low tax bracket. Now, and, and by the way, there's really some cool things that you can do when you are combining Roth IRA conversions and charitable contributions. So one of them that is going to save hundreds of thousands of dollars for the family. It's so cool. Um, and I'll oversimplify the facts. But we had a client who was who, who to oversimplify wanted to give a million dollars to a particular charity, but because of income limitations, um, they weren't going to be able to deduct it very that much of it. Then they would have a charitable remain or charitable contribution carry forward, and it, it, it wasn't that great for them. But their parent had a big IRA and a fair amount of money, so we said, "Well, you're going to leave money to the kid anyway. Let's just use a million dollars." Why don't you 
make a million dollar contribution that the kid was going to make to the charity, have it come from dad, who was, let's say, in his 80s or 90s, and the same year that we had that really big charitable contribution from dad, we did a Roth IRA conversion for dad. So dad ended up um, with a huge Roth IRA, which ultimately will go to his to his kids and children and grandchildren. And that that advice, I don't know if it's going to save millions, but it will save a ton of money. So the, there are some really cool things that you can do if you're both charitable and you want uh, um, to be to maximize the amount of money that uh, that goes to your kids. Another example, by the way, is who gets what where you do a series of Roth conversions, you leave that to the kids, and then you leave the plain old IRA or at least a portion of it to charity. Hardly any estate attorneys get that right. On Just on a $100,000 contribution to a charity um, at death, you save $24,000 like that just by changing the source of where the money comes from. So there's a lot of things that we can do and to me, that's just fun. More money for the family, more money for the charity, less money for the IRS. But to go back to the question, I think that the, the uh, scenario that Paula described sounded like pretty good uh, planning to me. So this next question is from the live room and it's from uh, a client actually, his name's William. And it's about the mechanics of a Roth IRA conversion. And I have to admit that despite having learned a lot about Roth IRAs and Roth IRA conversions over the years from you, I don't know. I'll be interested to hear the answer to this one. So um, he says, I'm a client. I have a Roth and an IRA. To do a Roth conversion, do I just write a check on the IRA and deposit it to the Roth account or is there extra overhead? Um. No, I, and, and by the way, this is usually one of those questions that I say, oh, I don't do that part. You know, that's up to Adam. But, but, he, but here's, here's the deal. If you did that, that would be a nightmare scenario that creates all kinds of problems. Um, and, and very frankly, if, depending on what kind of client you are, we take care of all that paperwork. Uh, and by the way, we do it right. And a lot of clients, frankly, do not. But mechanically, what happens is you actually fill out a form Again, if you're the client, we basically fill it out and all you do is make a, and now we do it on computers, just do your little little thing and that becomes DocuSign and all that. But anyway, you, you fill out a form that is basically saying, I'm going to make a Roth IRA conversion of, let's just say it's $100,000. And let's say your money is at Schwab or TD Ameritrade or Fidelity or wherever it happens to be. And by the way, we don't hold your money. We always want, we want somebody else holding your money. The only thing that we're allowed to take for ourselves is our fee. We're, we can't get one more penny than our fee from, from that, which is a protection for you. Uh, we don't want the Bernie Madoff situation because Bernie Madoff's clients, he was actually holding their money and um, reporting on where they were when he was taking it for himself. And then he would send them statements saying how much money that they had, which they really didn't. You, you want your money in somebody like Fidelity or TD Ameritrade or Schwab or somebody. But anyway, what Schwab will do is they will then send you a 1099. And they also send that 1099 
uh, to the IRS. And then so let's just say it's $100,000, you get a 1099, and the IRS with their computers, and they're very good at this, they are expecting to see that $100,000 reported as income. And then, um, then you have to pay the tax on that. And then the question is, where do you pay the tax? And that's another issue. And then um, what about estimated tax? That's another issue. But the mechanics are, you're filling out a form that um, is basically a Roth IRA conversion form. And by the way, it might be a 401k to Roth 401k uh, conversion. Same thing though, you do a form, you get a 1099, you report the income, and then you hopefully have a plan to pay for it. And in some cases, uh, you should be making estimated taxes um, for the uh, tax liability that you know is coming. Okay, hope that helps. Thanks so much. Uh, and now I have, it's not quite a question, but when I read it in the question section, I thought I have to share this with Jim because he'll be so excited to hear this and I don't want to forget and then not think about it again. So Z said, not related to the current webinar, I think, but I got a free advanced copy of Jim's Retire Secure for Professors. I had never been able to find out what the various options for 403B at TIAA were. Jim's book made the options extremely, in all caps, clear. This information was worth a large amount of money. I just want to say thank you so much for sharing that, V. Well, thank, thank you. That is our most recent book. By the way, I think there's great information on that, even for non-professors and non-TIAA participants because it is our latest and greatest. On the other hand, most people want everything in the book or as much as possible to be related to them. But certainly if you are either a college professor or you are a TIAA participant, and I won't bother explaining because if you're a TIAA participant, you know about it. There's specialty investment issues, tax issues, et cetera, from which I uh, know very well. My mom was a professor, my brother, was a professor. I think we have 600 professors as clients. Those and engineers uh, are our probably two biggest uh, professions. And I decided to finally get off my you-know-what and write a book just for professors. And I sent it out to people who I thought were professors. But for whatever it's worth, and I don't think now Brian's going is groaning right now, oh no, he's going to make an offer uh, that I don't have a quick, uh, a, a little chat box thing um, but if people are interested, and we're talking with a major publisher right now, we're, we're really, we actually have an oral deal, um, which I can't reveal, but um, we have an advanced reader copy, which at the moment we are allowed to distribute. I don't know if we'll be allowed to distribute after the deal is done, but for anybody who is a professor or a TIAA participant, um, this specialty book really is important. And by the way, the TIAA market is a trillion dollar market, not billion, trillion. So there's some serious money. And one of these days I might write a book, not just for professors, but for TIAA participants. The problem is there's a lot of things I want to write a book about. I think I'm on number 10 so far. But anyway, thanks, Erica. Great, sorry, I was uh, uh, furiously uh, talking to to Brian. 
he has put a link in the chat already. He had it covered. Um, oh, cool. Yeah. So uh, if anyone is interested in requesting that book, you can just click that link that Brian put in the chat and it will open on a separate page. So awesome. Thanks again, Brian. Okay, so uh, the next question that I have is from the live room. It's from Doug and he says, to minimize the stealth taxes that come along with Roth conversions for those over 65, does it make sense to skip a few years of Medicare and then pay the penalties? or to take a bare bones, uh, inexpensive part C plan to bridge the conversion period. I have excellent health insurance for life, but required to also have Medicare coverage as well, you know, because he's over 65. Well, there's a whole bunch of questions in there. If, if, you're, if your coverage is so good, it might not make sense for you to be on Medicare or it might make sense for you to have a minimum uh, policy. You know, we've had a bunch of people turn 65 in our office. By the way, we, we tend to keep people a long time. Uh, Glenn's been with us, I think, 34 years. Um, Sandy, almost that many years. You might not want to hear that because you might be able to interpolate her age. Um, Matt's been with us, I think, 19 years. Uh, Alice has been with us, I think, 20 years. So we have a bunch of people, and, and frankly, we are aging. The marketing department is uh, obviously, Erica being an example, is obviously the, the next generation. But we have a lot of people who are dealing with Medicare. And so first, there's a question of um, which, which policy should you have? And then the question is, let's say, mixing the policy that you have with Roth conversions. And I'm certainly, I don't want to pretend to be a Medicare expert, but this is this is what I would say. People sometimes overrate the importance of the Medicare premium uh, or the extra Medicare premium that comes as a result of a Roth IRA conversion. Sometimes that's right on point. It's really hard to give a general answer to that. And I'm not even 100% sure that even if we knew all the facts we, that we could, um, but sometimes what we do is we actually bring in uh, experts. So, for example, we do have relationships with um, a couple of good Medicare insurance providers that we could ask, you know, well, gee, how would that would that really hurt them? Uh, very frankly, I'm probably more interested in you getting full coverage than you maximizing the Roth IRA conversion to the dollar, uh, just because I don't want you to have uncovered medical expenses. Uh, that that you could have reasonably anticipated. So not the greatest answer, but I'll, I gave it my best shot. Awesome. Okay. Thanks, Jim. Um, so the next question I'm going to use is also from the questions that were submitted in advance. Uh, and it is from Tom in California. Uh, and Tom asks, let's say you have four adult children who have significantly different personal income tax rates now and in the future. The surviving parent wants to treat all four children equally upon his death. How much, if any, consideration should be given to the income tax rate of these beneficiaries? Well, let me mention that first of all, hardly any estate attorneys, including ours, want to deal with that. I want to deal with it. So 
um, we have a strategy called who gets what. And let, let's, you know, the question is four, but for simplicity, let's just say that there's two beneficiaries. And let's say that they're both great kids. And, and, and by the way, this, we do do this in practice. Um, and let's say one of the great kids um, is working for a nonprofit making $40,000 a year. Uh, they're married and maybe their spouse makes the same thing or less or whatever it is. And it's pretty clear they're going to, they're in a low tax bracket now and the trajectory of their lifestyle and what they want to do and how much money they're going to make. They're always going to be in a low tax bracket or worse. They're unemployed. And they're not in any tax bracket. And then let's say the other kid who might not be any more talented, but for whatever reason, the market, um, respects what they do. Um, maybe they're a doctor or uh, maybe they're a successful businessman or something else, and they're in a very high tax bracket. And let's assume to simplify that the parents have um, after-tax dollars, um, IRA dollars, and Roth dollars. Well, and let's say the majority of the money is traditional IRA dollars. We can give more money of the traditional IRA dollars that might be taxed at 10, 12, or 15% to the child who's making a lower income. And then we can give the Roth dollars and the after-tax dollars to the child who is in a higher tax bracket. And if you work it out, let's just say for discussion's sake, the difference between the two tax brackets is 20% and sometimes it's more. And by the way, uh, the question came from somebody from California. Let's say the rich kid lives in California. So you maybe add another eight, nine, 10% of, depending on the kid's bracket, but let's even just say 8%. Um, there might be a 30% difference in tax brackets. So by changing who gets what, if you're just even on a million and the estate might be much more, there could end up being a $300,000 difference if you're willing to play that game. Now, here's the problem with the game. The question said, I want to treat my kids equally. All right. Our goal is still to treat the kid equally, but not identically. So if you're going to treat somebody equally and don't, don't hold me to these numbers, but let's just say for discussion's sake, an IRA, a Roth IRA of $100,000 um, might be um, the equivalent of a traditional IRA of $130,000. Or if you add another zero, and let's say the estate is 2.3 million, and you have 1.3 in a traditional, and then 1 million in a Roth, well, maybe you give 1.3 to the child in the lower bracket, and you give the million dollar Roth to the child in the higher bracket. So you're not treating the kids equally and you're never gonna get it exactly 50-50. But if you're getting like a 20% benefit in terms of tax savings or even a 30% tax benefit savings, and let's say you, you end up being at 51-49 or 52-48, you're still giving a much bigger pie to both of your kids and a much smaller piece of pie to the IRS. So I like that. Um, we call that strategy who gets what. I've never read about that anywhere. 
It's one of those things that just makes sense to me. And we, we have published that both in the charitable world where we're, we're advocating giving IRAs to charity and after-tax dollars um, to kids and not what most estate attorneys do, which is they use the will or the revocable trust for money to go to charity. This is a new area for us. Um, very frankly, every time I bring it up, Matt Schwartz, who he's as quantitative an estate attorney as you're going to get, he sometimes groans because he is afraid that somebody is going to complain that we didn't do the allocation exactly right, or maybe somebody's tax bracket changed or whatever. And, and maybe we don't end up at 50-50, or maybe we don't even end up at 51-49, or maybe even 52-48. But if there's 20 or 30% savings that we can make, and the family kind of gets what we're doing, then I would do that. But other people say, nope, has to be exactly 50-50 or in this case, four kids, 25, 25, 25, 25. And maybe you, you actually give up the tax savings for the simplicity and you don't have any unhappy kids because this is a kind of a sophisticated strategy. Um, but for whatever it's worth, you know, we've saved some families some serious money by doing some big Roth IRA conversions, leaving that money to the kid who was in the higher tax bracket and then leaving traditional IRA money to the kid in the lower tax bracket and coming as close as we could to um, making it 50-50 in terms of purchasing power, which I talked about at the first session. So hope that helps, but it's a really cool thing. Um, I've actually never seen any other state attorney other than us do it. And even us, Matt's still going to grumble a little bit, but <laughs> I always think that's his problem. You know, to me, I just see the big tax savings and I go, well, you figure out the details. Uh, and the problem is it can't be formulaic because every family's different. So, for example, if the one kid lives in, in California, you're going to get a different result than if that same kid lives in Texas so or Pennsylvania. So anyway, uh, hope that helps.